So this last Monday, my daughter, like many of the kids in our area, um, had the day off of school in remembrance of Martin Luther King Jr. And I love the fact that Alex is old enough now that we can have really awesome conversations about stuff. So we talked about his contributions to society. We talked about seeking out those voices who are different than ours, that challenge oppression, that challenge, challenge injustice, and, and finding ways to really move into action to make a difference in our world. Uh, it wasn't all serious, though, because we spent the afternoon at a local coffee shop uh, laughing and chatting, sharing vanilla lattes, because she's also old enough she's into coffee now, so that's fantastic. And we just had a great day. There was nothing fancy about it. It was simple. It was honest. And it's the kind of day that just a couple years ago, I never would have had with her. Because not very long ago, I lived in that world, right, where I worked 40 hours a week and 40 turned into 50 and 50 turned into 60 and 60 turned into 70. And next thing I knew, it, my life was ruled by my job. There wasn't times I would have been working and even if I had days off to use, I couldn't have afforded to take them because there was so much work to be done. I was trying so hard for so long, angling for promotions, I went back to school, I got more certifications because I was gonna build this career that was gonna take care of my family, only to have that career take me away from them. Now this series has been rooted entirely in those really real regrets, things that a lot of people struggle with. So I know that I'm not alone when I look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. I regret how much time I missed with my family, and I regret the very real pain that I caused them by not being present even when I was around, by always being away and distracted. But what I regret today is I still didn't learn my lesson. Because I had my wake-up moment, I had my epiphany and realized that I needed to let go of that job. I changed jobs, I changed my situation. But then over time, all that extra time that I had when I felt free and I felt like I could be present, it just got filled back up with other stuff. And not too long ago, even when I already knew that I was going to speak on this today, I found myself saying, oh, I, I, I have too much to do. I'm too busy, I can't afford to do X or I can't afford to do Y, I'm just too busy. It's like when you start out right in a tiny apartment and you fill up the rooms with some furniture and you have a couple closets and a dresser and then when you manage to move into a bigger apartment or your first home, no matter how modest it is, you think, wow, we have all this room, right? think, oh, there's tons, we're not scrunching in here with our furniture, I have closet space. But then next thing you know, as time goes on, if you're not careful, all those closets get filled up, all those drawers get filled up, and everybody, everything's just stuffed to the brim. The same is true for our time. Because even if we don't spend an obscene number of hours a week, maybe you have that, that thing, I work in HR, so I'm very familiar with the term work-life balance, right? You have to balance your work hours with the rest of your life and make sure that work isn't taking over. So maybe you have a great work-life balance and you're not killing yourself at your job. But do you have life balance? 
right? Because it's not just our job. It's not just a place we go to work that can consume our time. It's all the other stuff, all the, as we call it, adulting, right? Because even if I'm not at work, I still have a home to take care of. I still have a family to feed, laundry to do, dishes to do, all of those things. If we have kids, they have all of their responsibilities, right? So we're running them to activities. We're making sure they're doing their homework. Everything, every minute just evaporates. It gets full of stuff. And we say things like, I wish I had an extra day every week because there's not enough time to do the things I have to do and the things I want to do. I have absolutely been guilty myself of saying, I wish there were like eight extra hours in a day. We just want more time because it's so full. So maybe the regret isn't really, I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard, but more, I wish I had learned how to rest. Now, when I say that, maybe you chuckle to yourself. And I'm not saying here, please no, I'm not saying that moms are the only busy people in the world, but as a mom, I know that a lot of moms are probably going, <laughs> rest, what is that? Because there's always something to do, right? But we weren't built to function like that, to act like machines. We weren't built to be in perpetual motion. And if we're burning the candle at both ends, living in a state of chaos, when we're finally able to rest, it actually comes in the forms of things that detach us. I am as guilty of anybody at the end of a long day, I'm just gonna turn on some Netflix. Because then I can zone out, I can enter another world other than the one I live with, one, one that I don't have to think about my priorities and my obligations, I can zone out. Same with a good book, escape to another world, right? So when we get those moments of rest, we're not plugging in, we're tuning out. And I think we tune out because we can't possibly let more of the world in. But that's not what God meant for us. God meant for us to have rest that actually restored us. And so the question then, million dollar question, is how do we find that rest? We see all these articles, Facebook, all over the internet, all these blogs about how to get rest, how to plug, tune out, how to reprioritize. The information's out there, right? And yet we still struggle with this. So we can look to the Bible and see something really cool about how we find it. So I said, we live in this state of chaos. And if you want to see a group of people living in a state of chaos, you can go back to the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament, and it's amazing how these people get stuck in this cycle, right? They're just always screwing up and then trying to make it right and then screwing up again. Does that sound familiar to anybody else like their own life? In the first book of the Bible alone, we see numerous stories of people running around doing very questionable things, and you think, man, those people could use some guidance. They could use some help. And God thought so too. So after he brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he gave them some rules. He gave them the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are something that people are pretty familiar with, right? That's a well-known part of the Bible. And even if you can't me don't have them memorized, and you can't just spit them all out one after the other. There's ones that if I said, you know, name a commandment, there's ones that people name, like, don't murder. Okay, I don't really need a lot of backstory on that for me to understand that one. Don't kill people. Okay, don't commit adultery. 
Again, that doesn't really require a whole lot of explanation. Don't steal. I get mad when someone in my household steals my leftovers from the refrigerator. So again, I get that. And all of those things, even though they're simple on the surface, you can dig deeper into those, and Jesus ultimately did in the New Testament. But on the surface, we understand them. And they're very short when you read them. But then when we read about the commandment about Sabbath, about rest, it's not just one sentence. God gives us a whole section there. So if we look at Exodus chapter, or chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For, six, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I find this interesting, right, because we get so busy, and we feel like the world is on our shoulders. We may say, oh, we'd love to, we'd love to rest, we'd love to stop, but we feel like things will fall apart if we do. At work, we think, you know, I have to say yes to this project because otherwise, you know, I might not get that promotion. Moms, we say, I have to get these dishes done. I have to get these dishes done. Otherwise, it's going to be a mess and I'm going to have to do it later. We can't just let the dishes sit. We're not good at that. We say as parents, I have to sign my child up for this activity. I have to sign my child up for this sport because if I don't fill them with all this enrichment, their life is going to be less than it could be. We feel all these things, all these pressures about the way we choose to spend our time. We feel like the world is on our shoulders, but God, on whom the world actually rests, took the time to stop. God worked, and then God rested. And I love these verses because he didn't just rest. He said he made it holy. That Sabbath was holy. And making it holy meant that it was set apart. It was something special. And God could have just rested, and that could have been God's thing. But he wanted us. He made a point for us to have it too. And there's a whole thread about Sabbath that's really, really awesome and important that's about trusting God, that part of the point of Sabbath was that we shouldn't make a work an idol. We shouldn't worship our work because we should trust that we don't have to work ourselves to the bone because God will provide for us. And there's great stories about that, and it's so important, but today I want to look at a different part of it. Because if we go back through those commandments again, it's interesting how they really don't make us feel too uncomfortable. When I say one of the commandments says, do not murder, I'm, I'm assuming, hoping that nobody in this room would go, well, there went my afternoon plans. I'm going to change what I'm going to do. The same with, with adultery. Hopefully, that wasn't on your to-do list for today. When we look at the Ten Commandments, most of them are things that just make sense. 
But when we talk about Sabbath, if I look at you today and I say, God commands that you take one whole day every single week and do not work and rest in God's holiness, instantly you might feel a little uncomfortable. I can't do that. There's too much to do. I can't take a whole day. Can I take an hour? Can I take 15 minutes? All these other commandments make sense, but this one makes us uncomfortable because of how hard we push and how full our lives are. So then maybe you go home today and you think about it and you feel guilty. You think, well, I really should be doing this. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but okay, I'm going to make Sabbath a priority. You pick out a day and every week you force yourself to do it. And then you're just going through the motions. Then we're back to treating faith like it's a checklist, like this is a requirement. So rather than getting the actual rest that you need out of it and that connection to God, you're just going through the motions. And ironically, when Jesus came on the scene and started to teach about things, that's where a lot of people of faith were at that time. They saw faith as a list of regulations and rules. They had faith. They had true faith but they didn't know how to live it out. They lost the spirit of it. And so we see several stories in the New Testament where Jesus kind of defies the traditional laws of the Sabbath and, and turns things around like he always does. But there's one part in particular. It's not a story about Sabbath per se, but it's a piece about rest that I think becomes the spirit of it and the reminder to us about why this is important and how we achieve it. If we look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it's a pretty well-known verse. It's one that we see all over Facebook with pretty backgrounds behind it. It's very common, like verse of the day sort of thing. And it reads, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's a great verse. It's, it makes perfect sense, right, why that gets plucked out, why that gets used by itself. Because if you're having a hard day or you're going through something traumatic, just that simple reminder that Jesus is there to give us rest, that's a beautiful thing. But if we always stop there, then we miss out on how we get that rest. We know Jesus can give us rest, but that's always the question. How do I find rest? How do I carve time out of my day? What's the point of this? So if we read on past that verse, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So yoke... Y-O-K-E, not to be confused with yolk, like what you might have had for breakfast this morning, is a term that most of us probably don't know because we don't live in this highly agrarian society. We're not all farmers. We don't all have fields of animals. But for the people that Jesus spoke to, this was a very common term. So this is a picture of what two oxen looked like yoked. It was a way to, to connect them for their work. 
Now, it was designed to fit the animal. I don't think that looks particularly comfortable, but they actually designed them because the point wasn't to, to add another burden onto them and make their work harder. The whole point was to join them together to make their work easier because they weren't joined together at random. They would always put an older, experienced ox with a younger, inexperienced one. Because that older ox knew the way, it knew the path, it knew how to do the work. So rather than putting two young oxen out there to just wander all over the place and get lost, they paired an older mentor with a younger person, younger oxen, to learn from them. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he's saying, attach yourselves to me. I know the path. I know how to do this. I can make the work easier, but you have to follow my lead. And I think we sometimes skip over verse 30. Tim, can you put 30 back up? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because if you don't really think too much about it, it kind of says following Jesus is easy, right? It's simple. And we know that's not the case. We know there's sacrifices to be made. We know that it's not, as I like to say, all sunshine, rainbows, and puppies. Following Jesus is a true commitment, and it can be challenging. But he isn't saying following him is easy. He's saying his yoke is easy. He's saying just like the yokes were designed to fit the oxen, Jesus' yoke was designed to fit us. Jesus is saying that his yoke will show us the way that he'll be guiding us and that our rest comes from connecting to him. Because rest, holy rest, the kind of rest that God wanted for us, isn't just about the absence of work. It's about the presence of a connection. Like I said, we unplug in all different ways. You can go take a nap. You can go on vacation. You can go to concerts. You can watch Netflix. And those things aren't bad. Those things are a lot of fun, and they bring us joy. And there's nothing to be said that there isn't a place for those in our lives. But those are about that detachment, even if only for a moment, from the worries of our lives, the pressures of our jobs, and often the things that we keep deep in our hearts. But those types of things don't bring us rest. They don't restore us the way that Jesus can. So instead of simply unplugging. Look for those connections. There's all sorts of ways that you can connect with God. There's those traditional ways. Read your Bible, do a devotional, prayer, listen to worship music, come to church and worship, come to church and listen. And there's ways that we can connect to other people through fellowship and, and Bible study groups and getting those relationships that help connect us to Jesus. But what I can't do today is tell you what that path looks like. And I know that might feel weird. It felt weird to me when I was working on this sermon. Because if I just say, 
this is what rest means, and this is what God wants for you, but I don't provide you a how other than Jesus, then doesn't that just kind of feel like every other blog and every other podcast we listen to that we go, okay, that was great, now how do I actually do that in my life? I wish I could say this is the exact path, but that's not my place. That's Jesus's place because it's your relationship with him, not mine. And Jesus knows you better than I could ever know you. It's that connection to Jesus that will bring us the rest. You just have to take that first step. So while I can't give you the answers today, what I hope is that I can help you walk out of here with the right questions. First, am I finding my rest in Jesus or am I simply unplugging? Look at the things that you're doing that you think are, should bring you rest but aren't. Like I said, unplugging maybe has its point. Concerts are fun. I love concerts. But are you also finding that rest, the holy rest in Jesus? And the other question is, how can I change my priorities so that Jesus can show me the path for my life instead of trying to fit Jesus onto my existing path? We do it backwards sometimes. We say, this is my life. Now I got to figure out how to fit Jesus into it. But if we're really following Jesus' lead, if we're yoked to him, he's the one showing us the path first. And then we figure out how to fit everything around that love and that life that we give from him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of rest. Thank you for knowing us so well and creating us so special that we're not meant to toil away, that we're meant to have rest, that we're meant to have you in our lives, that you sent Jesus to show us the way, to give us that rest, to show us that path. God, as we leave here today, I hope that we can invite you into that path to show it to us so that we can learn how to build our lives around you instead of the other way around. God, we are tired. There are so, so many things that can distract us and that can pull us away from you, from our loved ones, from relationships with others. Help us to learn to love you, to learn to love others. Help us to find real rest. Help us to change the way that we're living because we know in our bones that something isn't right. God, lift us up. Give us hope for the future. Give us hope for a time where we can bring you to the front of our lives and let everything else fall in its place. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.